coming up this evening on NTD Business. The United Kingdom banning Russian oil, despite Russia's warnings not to. So how do they plan to replace it? China's state-backed hackers access American government networks, according to a new report. So what's at stake? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Britain is joining the United States in banning imports of Russian oil. That's despite Russia threatening it would cut off natural gas supply to Europe if the West put Russian oil bans in place. But Britain says oil and oil products will be phased out by the end of the year. Here's the UK Business Secretary. What we've announced uh, today is that we want to see the elimination of Russian oil imports during the course of the year. Because clearly, if we'd announced uh, things, uh, a ban immediately, uh, that would have had a really serious impact on prices. I think this phased approach strikes a good balance. The UK gets 8% of its oil from Russia. The secretary says they'll work with other suppliers to make up for the loss. He also says the UK is far less reliant on Russian natural gas and that Britain itself is a significant producer of oil and related products. The European Union is now facing pressure to join the ban, but it would cause them far more economic pain. The EU gets a quarter of its oil from Russia and around 40% of its natural gas. An EU boycott would mean higher utility bills and higher prices at the pump in Europe, where it's already the equivalent of $8.33 a gallon. Thought it was bad here. The U.S. has banned oil imports from Russia. Now Canadian energy companies want to help fill the gap. Oil prices have gone up a lot this year, so I guess that wouldn't hurt. Anthony Sean Marshall has the story. With oil prices soaring, one Canadian energy company CEO says he expects Canadian oil production to ramp up. So I, I do expect that Canada will increase production by a few hundred thousand barrels this year which uh, certainly can help. Mark Little's comments came after U.S. President Biden moved ahead with an outright ban on Russian oil and gas imports. The U.K. on Wednesday also said it's phasing out Russian oil. Oil prices had surged as major buyers already effectively self-sanctioned Russia from global markets. In this price environment, every single producer is trying to find opportunities to maximize the utilization of their physical asset. Little did say it could take some time. We tend to be a long-cycle business, but what I mean by that is for us to significantly boost production, it takes years to go through the regulatory process and to construct the facilities. But he says once production is on, it can go for decades with little to no decline for the near term. We do have some facilities this year, like Fort Hills, that are ramping up uh, their production this year, and we've seen that just in the last couple of months, so I think that can help. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Global oil prices did ease a little today after the recent rallies. British oil, for example, Brent crude is down 12% to $112 a barrel. The U.S. benchmark WTI also down similar to $109 a barrel. That's the biggest daily drop since November. But it's also a sign all is not normal in commodity markets. Other fly, high-flying commodities like wheat and gold, for example, took significant haircuts today after soaring yesterday. So joining us to help make sense of it all and what it means for the economy and your wallet is energy and materials expert Tracy Shukart. Shukart is a partner and strategist with Intelligence Quarterly. Tracy, great to see you as always. Thanks for coming on. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Tracy, have you ever seen this type of volatility in commodity markets ever before, and does it worry you at all? Well, you know, if we look back over the last 20 years, obviously the Gulf War, the Iraq War, the Libyan Civil War, um, we have seen energy markets in particular, um, Arab Spring, um, in the agricultural market. So yes, we have seen this volatility before. The risk here is, is that um, you risk a fund or a group blowing out, which it kind of looks like that's kind of what happened today as you know people are over leveraged perhaps and then the market is reacting to all of these headlines um so that's always a bad sign that's not a healthy sign for for markets they just simply shouldn't be trading erratically like this so tracy can you explain what happened today with the fund so i i mean i think i'm speculating here but just from being in this market for as long as I have and looking at the outsized price movements, I would say somebody was over leveraged and um, basically got a margin call on this one. Because it was, because you know, the price 15, yeah, 15 yeah, percent move means the market moved against somebody so much that they were stopped out of the market. Right. Wow. And they got a margin call. And of course, we've seen in the past, sometimes these can be contagious, right? If that, that fund owes somebody else money, they owe somebody else money, it can cause contagion. Trace, I want to ask you as well, Ukraine is banning exports of wheat. We see Russia threatening to ban exports too. These are two big producers. How does the West pivot away from them? Well, here's the problem. It's a global agricultural market, right? And the futures markets have been very slow to fully price in the supply side disruptions and risks due to the restrictive daily trading limits on the exchange. However, the risk profile suggests that high record prices are kind of here to stay. And agricultural inventories are critically tight at this juncture. Literally, we have no room for error in the upcoming Northern Hemisphere growing season. I mean, and if we look, you know, if we already had Egypt tell customers today to start rationing commodities. So this is a this is a big problem. And it's, it's going to be a global contagion unless for some reason we have um, a fantastic growing season. That said, we're hindered by high fertilizer prices. So there's a lot going on in the agricultural markets for that, certain. That, that's a key point. If there's no wiggle room in agriculture, obviously so important, no need to stress how important food is, right? But you tweeted today about fertilizer plants closing in Europe because energy prices are so high. Critically, and we actually saw this happen in the UK earlier this year when that gas prices spiked higher, um, that's kind of started it. And then we saw kind of a contagion into the smelter industry and then a contagion into the EU markets. And so uh, my thoughts are here that we're definitely going to see a problem for the, manu uh, the manufacturing sector in Europe in general, um, which will put a drag on their economy and GDP. Got about 30 seconds, Tracy. What are you most worried about? What are you looking here in the financial markets or commodities that kind of has you spooked? I mean, I think that the, the basic thing is these markets are different than that we've seen in the past. And 
the commodity markets in general. Uh, so what I'm looking at is that we have a real supply and demand issues here right now, which is critically different than what we've seen before, where it's not value versus growth. We're actually looking at critical um, supply and demand problems. So going forward, um, you know, I would look for commodity prices to be higher for a myriad of reasons, including uh, the energy transition policies where you'll need more metals and such. And CapEx just hasn't been there just like it hasn't been there for oil. And this is coming on the back of you know, a record high inflation, historically <laughs> high inflation we already had, had. It's incredible. Tracy Shukart, Intelligence Quarterly. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you. So from cookies to soap to diapers to detergent, consumer goods manufacturers are now feeling the heat over their business in Russia. Two of the biggest, Procter & Gamble and Unilever, say they will continue to sell essential goods in Russia, though they have ended new capital investments and suspended advertising. Food makers Nestle Danone also took similar approaches, but chocolate maker Mondelez and Kimberly Clark, maker of Huggies Diapers, haven't announced their plans. But deciding to want to hang on to sales, such firms don't want to be seen as hurting ordinary Russians by denying them essentials or putting them out of work. But the pressure continues to mount. McDonald's, Starbucks, PepsiCo and Coca-Cola have all curtailed their operations in Russia. Such moves have followed pressure from big market players like the New York State Pension Fund. So after all the economic pain, Russia could be about to default on its sovereign debt, according to... Well, Fitch Ratings is downgrading Russia by six notches to see that's deep junk territory. The rating agency says Russia is now less willing to make good on its debt, says Russia has already withheld some payments to foreigners. Russia has sought to stop money leaving the country after the West hit it with financial sanctions, including freezing Russia's foreign assets held overseas. Now the Kremlin is accusing the United States of declaring an economic war against it. The Russian government spokesperson today talked U.S. energy, Russian fuel. As we just said, the West is using economic pressure to persuade Russia to call off its attack. But Russia is now calling this an economic war. When asked how Russia would respond to the economic sanctions, the spokesperson said the country would, quote, do what is best for our interests. The Kremlin had laid out what it wants from the invasion. And today's Khan Fredrickson looks at those demands. Earlier this week, Russia told Ukraine it will stop fighting in a moment if Ukraine meets a list of conditions. It must cease military action, not join NATO, acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory, and recognize Donetsk and Lugansk as independent states. This is one of the pretexts and one of the excuses that Russia has made why they even invaded Ukraine in the first place. Now, you have to understand the pretext that uh, NATO has been created as a counterpart to the Soviet Union, and so basically, Russia has been constantly fearing that NATO has been expanding closer and closer to the Russian border. And Ukraine was one of the countries that was expressing its intention to join NATO. Roman Sheremeta is the founding director of American University Kyiv and an economist who coincidentally left Ukraine one day before the invasion. Sheremeta believes Putin wants to rebuild the Soviet empire. By constantly showing aggression through annexation of Crimea and the eastern Ukraine, uh, Russia has even more so pushed Ukraine to join NATO. Next demand, Ukraine has to acknowledge Crimea as part of Russia. Crimea is, unlike Ukraine, is mostly made up of Russians. 
And again, and, and that also has historically been part of Russia. Harley Lipman was a key broker of the peace accords between Israel and the UAE. Lipman says that aside from history, Crimea has a lot of natural resources. It also gives Russia... The major access to the Black Sea. Uh, Russia can uh, have a port for their Black Sea fleet. And so it's a very strategic place for Russia to have. And another request is that Donetsk and Lugansk be acknowledged as independent states. Donetsk and Lugansk are the regions in Ukraine that have been predominantly Russian-speaking and a lot of support for Russians because you have to understand that this has been long in preparation where Russia was sending its own citizens into Ukraine, giving the passports and the citizenship, Russian citizenship. Economist Roman Sheremeta speculates Putin wants those areas to be independent so Russia can influence Ukrainian politics. The ideal scenario for him to, would be for uh, Ukraine to recognize independency of these states and being yet part still of Ukraine. So the Ukrainian parliament constantly has people from Donetsk and Luhansk in it. So Russia can constantly have a control or at least partial control of the Ukrainian parliament through Donetsk and Luhansk. So you have to understand there is a very important strategic element why Putin wants for Ukraine to recognize their independence. And yet Putin doesn't want for them to join Russia. Russia says Ukraine knows about these demands and there has been no reaction as of yet. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. <laughs> So joining us to discuss how cyber attacks are being used during the Ukraine-Russia conflict is cybersecurity expert Tom Mustak. Tom, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Great to be here. Tom, we spoke a little offline about how Russia are potentially using, I believe, camera systems, uh, traffic camera systems in Ukraine. C can you go through this with us? Correct. So traffic camera systems are, are something that's familiar to most consumers, and we use them every day to plan out our commutes and, and see which way we're going to travel for the least resistance. And uh, soon after the conflict erupted in, in the Ukraine, uh, there were reports that the Russians were using the cameras in the street to see what was happening in the around them, uh, which is the equivalent of having troops get out there to those locations, right, without physically having to put any effort into it. Wow. Is this something you have seen before in conflict? Um, I have not that I've called it out specifically in conflict, but it's uh, it's technology that we all take for granted. It, it's there, right? What do you think the implications are for Americans or the West, say, if the conflict were to escalate? Um, for the West, I mean, I, I think we'll see a continued escalation of ransomware attacks, uh, phishing attacks. Um, those are all things that we always should be keeping front of mind because it's very easy to um, to compromise your own organization if you're not careful with the things that you visit on the internet and the things that you click on. Um, so you need, we need to keep our technology environments very clean and use them for the purposes that we brought them into our organizations. Because we saw, of course, this big cyber ransomware attack last year on the oil pipeline, right? Uh, you think that this was a uh, potentially a, a warning for American companies or governments? Are they taking action to try and prevent it? Well, certainly every uh, every incident that we see is a warning to American companies and companies around the globe to uh, to take their cybersecurity posture seriously. Uh, and we will continue to see these things. Ireland had a very big uh, cyber attack on their healthcare system a few months back. 
um, that took them their electronic uh, records offline for several weeks. Um, and, and that can be devastating. I mean, it can result in the delay of, of services to patients, the delay of care. Uh, the, the whole global economy has shifted uh, over the years to this just-in-time model where everything is delivered as we need it on our assembly lines. So any kind of a disruption um, can have serious implications because we're not getting the components uh, that we need to complete our assembly lines, to supply food, to supply various supplies to uh, any industry out there. What exactly do adversaries gain from this just disruption to the enemy? Um, they, they all have different, uh, different drivers. I mean, some of them are politically motivated. They want to disrupt things. They want to disrupt the American way of life. Um, others are looking for financial gain, or they, you can even have organized crime gang, game, gangs that are looking to disrupt their, their competitors uh, for financial advantage. So there, there's a lot of different angles that people can bring to the table. A lot to watch. Tom Mostak, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. A number of American state governments have been breached by a Chinese hacking group, according to a new report. Cybersecurity firm Mandian says the hackers accessed local government networks in at least six U.S. states. The attack happened from May 2021 to February of this year. The group is one of the largest state-sponsored hacking groups in China. Anthony's Don Ma has more. A hacking group behind a U.S. government breach is called APT41, and they're actually a Chinese state-sponsored hacking group. We know APT41 has been a state-sponsored group by the CCP for well over a decade. They've been active in penetrating U.S. and allied networks for over 10 years. Uh, and it's been uh, tracked back to the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, which is completely there to act at parcel and act at the direction of the CCP. The CEO of Exact IT Solutions gives us a list of potential information APT41 could have gotten its hands on. This company specializes in discovering hacking breaches and cutting off the hackers. It would include uh, any employment data or any information they can get of any uh, government employees, state uh, government employees, um, and then depending on what government entity they broke into, you know, they could potentially be stealing taxpayer information and things like that. Since APT41 is state-sponsored, it begs the question, is Beijing receiving private Americans' personal information via APT41? Without a doubt, the Chinese government is getting their hands on this information as they collect it. The Chinese government has a massive amount of information collected uh, through these types of activities where they hack into governments. Because APT41 is state-sponsored, does the hack constitute a direct attack from the Chinese Communist Party or CCP on the United States? Casey Fleming, CEO of cybersecurity firm Black Ops Partners, says it does. 100%. It's, uh, the CCP has come out for many, many years and said that they're in a war against the United States, and it's warfare. And what people don't understand, it's hybrid warfare. Cyber attacks on the U.S. by Chinese actors have happened a number of times in recent years. Some of the attacks have links to Beijing. So then what is Beijing trying to achieve? You have to understand hybrid warfare and what the intent is. The intent is to weaken your enemy so you can take it over, to colonize the United States and each one of the free nations. 
With regards to Chinese cyber attacks, if you're an everyday American, what should you be worried about right now? You should be worried about your trade secret or your company's trade secrets being stolen. If you have IP, you're being attacked. The, the Chinese Communist Party is wargaming against your company to put you out of business and take your business and your intellectual property over to China and produce it to build their economy and to weaken our economy. Fleming says APT41 has been attacking the U.S. and the West for well over a decade. He also warns Americans to be cautious about using Chinese technology. Don Ma, NTD News. Good day on Wall Street today. Stocks rallied, rebounding from several days of declines. The Dow is up 654 points at 2 percent. The S&P 500 rose 107 points, 2 and 6 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq gained 460 points, 3 and 6 tenths of a percent today. Good day on Wall Street is right. There's also good news and bad news on jobs. The good news? The U.S. has a record number of job openings. In January, there were 11.3 million open jobs. The bad news? There aren't enough workers. As the latest from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it also says 4.3 million people quit their jobs at the start of the year. Maybe looking for better pay as gas and grocery prices rose. Also big crypto news today. The president ordering the government to study the risks and benefits of cryptocurrencies and a digital dollar. Think Fedcoin. So what could it mean for the crypto industry as a whole? Anthony Phil Zoe reports. The U.S. government is taking cryptocurrency seriously. That's after President Biden issued an executive order to look at the benefits and risks of crypto and a potential central bank digital dollar. The head of a blockchain investment fund says the government might create a crypto-specific agency to regulate the assets. It's bigger than just the SEC. It's bigger than just the CFTC. It's bigger than FinCEN. And rather than let these agencies kind of squabble with each other and have a land grab over who can cover what crypto asset, uh, there needs to be more of a holistic approach. Ralph Cooper is the founder of two metaverse companies. He says regulation is going to help give crypto credibility. The Biden administration is not trying to shut it down. The Biden administration is looking to incorporate it into, in the legal system that we have. And that's a good thing. Bitcoin was up around 8% today on the news, hovering around $42,000. They're looking to protect consumers and businesses. Uh, they're looking to make sure national security is not uh, at risk. Chris Klein at Bitcoin IRA says this is a rare occasion when an entire asset is being talked about by the U.S. government. The last two times an entire financial class or asset class was mentioned was in 1933 when FDR nationalized gold holdings and in 71 when Nixon mentioned that we're coming off the gold standard for the U.S. dollar. But crypto investor Bob Bilbrook says this regulation might be bad news for Bitcoin. The central banks of most um, countries will probably release their own um, digital currency, or what they call a CBDC, which is a central bank digital currency. If that happens, Billbrook predicts Bitcoin will become less important since many countries may start using their own digital currency instead. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. Quick break, but stick with us. Still to come. Athletic apparel company Lululemon jumping into the footwear business, unveiling its first ever shoe. And an expedition finds a sunken ship not seen since 1915. The ship was crushed by ice off the coast of Antarctica. That and much more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. Lululemon, the company that makes the comfy sweatpants, is taking its first step into the shoe business. The firm announced it is releasing a new women's shoe called Bliss Feel. It's for running. This is the first shoe Lululemon has released. It's going to cost $148. comes in 10 colors. The company says the new shoe will be available for purchase starting March 22nd, both online and in select stores across North America, the UK, and China. Lululemon says a different line of footwear for men will come out next year. And a famous shipwreck from 1915 has been found off the coast of Antarctica. That's over 100 years after it was crushed by ice. An expedition set off from Cape Town, South Africa in February on a mission to locate it. Now NTD's Neil Woodrow reports. The wreckage of Sir Ernest Shackleton's ship Endurance was found in the Weddell Sea off the coast of Antarctica. The shipwreck was discovered on March the 5th, 100 years to the day since Shackleton was buried. Expedition leader John Shears said his team had made polar history by completing what he called the world's most challenging shipwreck search. Endurance was found at a depth of a 1,000 feet and four miles south of the position originally recorded by the ship's captain. Sir Ernest and his crew set out on the first land crossing of Antarctica, but Endurance did not reach land and became trapped in dense ice. The 28 men on board were stranded for 10 months, and theirs is considered one of the great survival stories of human history. They trekked across the sea ice, living off seals and penguins, before reaching the uninhabited Elephant Island in lifeboats. From there, Shackleton and some of the crew rode 800 miles to South Georgia, where they sought help at a whaling station. On his fourth rescue attempt, Shackleton managed to pick up the rest of the crew from Elephant Island in 1916, two years after setting off from London. The Endurance is now protected as a historic site and monument under the Antarctic Treaty. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. It's cool. That's the latest business. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch NTD evening news, though, with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.